This is a Diet of Brussels. Is the European Council settlement legally binding? This is a, a question that's uh, come up uh, several times uh, since last week's uh, deal, uh, not least with Michael Gove uh, saying that it's not worth the paper it's written on. Um, where are we then with this? Um, several different uh, layers uh, apply, uh, which is enough to keep uh, my uh, learned friends in business uh, for many a week. The deal itself is a decision of the European Council. Uh, and as it states uh, in the text, it is considered to be legally binding on the uh, participants in the European Council, so the heads of state and government of the member states. And they've committed that they will uh, abide by that decision uh, unless there is a, a consensual or a unanimous decision to amend that. Now, uh, the way that that uh, works is not within the framework of the EU, technically. Uh, the European Council's decisions are uh, not ones that carry uh, legal force in of themselves. Um, but uh, clearly, given that member states are the holders of the um, ultimate uh, legal power within uh, the European Union, because it's based on international treaties, they can make additional decisions. And uh, as far as I understand it, the text of this decision is going to be lodged with the UN in accordance with uh, international law and treaties. So it has the force of uh, a decision. At the same time, as Michael Gove rightly points out, uh, the European Court of Justice is uh, bound to see that the uh, provisions of European law are observed uh, by member states and by everyone else and that when there is a case brought to it, it should uphold that legal order. Now, uh, as far as this decision goes, there's nothing intrinsically within this decision that is against uh, the uh, legal order, with the possible exception of the safeguard mechanism limiting the access to in-work benefits, which would seem to go against uh, the provisions about non-discrimination on the basis of nationality between EU nationals. At the same time, there's a, a further complication, which is that um, what the decision or the settlement actually contains is a set of commitments, in effect, by the Commission and by member states to see the introduction of new pieces of legislation. So. Uh, all of the substantive parts of the, uh, the decision um, fall into one of two categories. Either they are, this is the existing legal setup and this is how we will uh, have some kind of precision within that setup. So for example, the uh, ability of uh, Eurozone outs to uh, raise up an issue with a piece of legislation uh, that is something which can happen without legal amendment because it can be done within the, uh, the current legal framework. So that's fine, that's, that's uh, within the boundaries. The other category, is, and the more substantial one, is that the, this, uh, as I say, the introduction of new pieces of legislation. Now, there's no commitment that those pieces of legislation uh, will be passed, um, partly because member states are not the sole uh, decision-making bodies uh, in this because the European Parliament uh, 
can't and won't commit in advance to uh, pieces of legislation, as we've discussed in uh, an earlier uh, episode last week. Um, but also because uh, there is still the chance that somebody might bring a legal challenge uh, on the basis of existing legal provision. And again, the safeguard mechanism here is, I think, the, the key uh, issue. Now, Gove is right that un until uh, EU law is changed, uh, the court would be bound to uphold the existing legal order. At the same time, we have seen examples in the past where the EU has, uh, or the member states have decided that uh, they are going to limit the power of the court. I think this is a really important point to make. The court exists at the uh, pleasure, in effect, of member states. They hold all of the constitutional levers within the system. They can change the treaties. A good example of this came in the early 1990s when uh, the court uh, had a ruling which basically said that it was discriminatory to uh, have different retirement ages for men and women. Uh, this was a case called Barker. And uh, member states realised that this was going to cost them an awful lot of money uh, in retrospective uh, pension payments uh, if uh, applied. So at the time that the court reached this decision, uh, the member states agreed a protocol to the treaty which said that uh, this decision would be not retrospectively uh, applied, so that there would be no uh, capacity for people to claim compensation. So after that date, they uh, amended their uh, pension uh, dates uh, and ages, but uh, made sure that the court's power didn't uh, have a, a major financial consequence. And I think you would see the same here. The court knows that the European Council has committed to this settlement. It knows that uh, the court, uh, that the member states are committed uh, at the next treaty change to change provisions on ever closer union, at least. And so it would interpret, uh, most likely, uh, the legality of a situation uh, in light of that European Council decision. So we're, we're both right in one sense. On the one hand, uh, the uh, government is right to say that uh, the decision itself is legally binding of the European Council, but Gove is also right to say that the court is bound to uphold the law. What we neglect in all this is the fact that the law itself can be changed. I expect we'll come back to this at several points during the uh, rest of the debate, but uh, hopefully that helps cast some light on the issue. <laughs>